right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Jack Morrison, who is the co-founder and CEO of Scythe. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. It's great, uh, great to reconnect. It is great to reconnect. Uh, for people who, who don't know, which is all of you, uh, Jack and I first connected at Bulber Startup Week back in 2017, and that was one of the best startup weeks I've ever been to. <laughs> it was a really good one. I was, uh, I was glad to make get reacquainted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's let's talk about you know I mean Apple at a startup week you know you led the robotics track so and what you're working on now is a startup in that space. So can you kind of explain to me and to everyone listening what you're working on with Scythe? Sure. So Scythe's mission is to steward and sustain all of our outdoor spaces. So uh, we are looking at building robots and uh, advanced technologies that uh, can help make it much easier to take care of all of our beautiful outdoor spaces. So I'm in Boulder, Colorado, where we are blessed with a lot of parks and open space, uh, but all of that comes at a cost. Um, it's hard to find laborers who are willing to sit on a mower or carry a leaf blower all day, uh, and that cost gets passed along to organizations and governments uh, and individuals who have to pay for the landscaping uh, all day. And you know, it really reduces the amount of open space folks consider having. Um, so Scythe is building a commercial lawnmower uh, that drives itself and uh, helps you know, radically reduce the uh, costs of maintaining all these properties. All right, this is awesome. I, I'm excited to dig in. So you're building an autonomous lawnmower. A couple of questions that pop up immediately. Is this a lawnmower that is owned by a, a person or a family for their own lot? Or is it a lawnmower owned by the city and they just do, they sell it to resident, uh, to, to people living in the city? Yeah. So our customers are the commercial landscapers. So commercial landscaping, uh, broadly encompasses municipal, uh, you know, corporate landscaping, HOAs, all the way to apartment buildings and up to parks. Um, and so our customers, these commercial landscapers, uh, will take the mowers and use them to maintain lots of different properties. You know, every week, uh, travel around town just like they do today with their own gas-powered, uh, you know, manual mowers. Uh, but instead, they'll be self-driving. So this might be a very basic question, but how do you just build an autonomous, like, like how, are you, how are you building this? I mean, what kind of knowledge did you have going into this company? Um, and also, when did you start Scythe? And then I'd love to hear just the process of, of what, what's necessary to build a, these autonomous machines to, to mow lawns and take care of our landscape. Sure. So we've been working on Scythe for a little over a year now, my co-founders, Davis, Isaac, and I. Uh, my background's in computer vision, so I've been doing perception for robots for a number of years now. Uh, my co-founder, Davis, is our hardware lead. He's got uh, expertise in computer vision, hardware, 
and electronic systems. Um, so he's really responsible for building this mower and, and putting all the hardware together. And then our third co-founder, Isaac, uh, is leading up our customer outreach and, and biz dev side of things. Um, but, you know, building a mower from the ground up, uh, especially for self-driving, is no small feat. But when we really, when we looked at what it would take to, you know, do the sort of retrofit approach, uh, it really didn't make much sense to try and strap a bunch of sensors onto a, an existing gas mower. Um, plus, then you lose the benefits of the electrification and and the quieter uh, operation. Um, so we're building the mower from the ground up. It's about 700 pounds of uh, steel and batteries, uh, lots of cameras, ultrasounds, radars, uh, all sorts of uh, devices that help it sense the world around it. So uh, I want to dive into a few aspects uh, of that. So you're, you, you have a background in computer vision. So are you kind of, in, in very layman's terms, are you kind of responsible to make sure that it can drive itself, like the autonomous aspect of it? And, and, or can you just dive into the, uh, can you dive into what, what it looks like to build a tractor for, that has computer vision? Um, sure. So like I said before, so we're primarily uh, doing our sensing on the robot with cameras. So we've got uh, cameras that provide a 360 degree view around the robot. And what those cameras are used for is to understand, uh, you know, not only what's around the robot, so the, the sort of scene awareness side of things, but also where the robot's going and how it's moving through the world. Um, and so that, that takes a, a sort of full stack integration, everything from uh, you know, bringing the camera information in, actually capturing the images efficiently and quickly and, and synchronizing them all the way up through, uh, you know, processing that imagery to extract the, the path of the cameras as they move throughout the world and, and synchronize that with the behaviors of the robot so that it can act intelligently, work alongside people, uh, and, and not run into any trees. So, Something I'm curious about that I've heard a, I've heard a lot about. I think actually at Boulder Startup Week, it was the first time I was introduced. But it's this concept of lidar and radar and and other things in that category. Just for my own education, so I can understand how are you, are you using lidar technology, radar technology, and can you dive into specifically what those are and and why you made why you went down the route that you went? Sure. So LiDAR and radar have, uh, you know, really gotten in the news much more nowadays, thanks to the, the sort of self-driving, impending self-driving car revolution and, and all the focus on those. So LiDAR is a laser-based uh, ranging method. So it uses uh, pulsed lasers to basically tell you how far away everything around uh, the object is, you know, around the robot how far away it is uh, and where it is. And then radar uh, actually uses radio waves um, and is what you know, you'd find on the front of a Tesla, for instance, uh, or in these adaptive cruise control systems that can tell you how fast the car in front of you is moving. And they both have, have pros and cons. Radar is a much less precise system, but works in much noisier uh, and you know, dustier and dirtier environments, it, it will actually penetrate through uh, clouds or dust clouds, um, whereas 
LIDAR itself is a much more precise imaging uh, method. You can get, you know, millimeter accurate uh, measurements, but things like dust clouds uh, can actually confuse LIDAR uh, and, and make it much harder to operate. And for that reason, we're using radar on our robot um, as one of the, the layers of safety because it, it does provide you this really rich uh, 3D information, um, but it's more robust to dirt and grass clippings flying through the air, which obviously will be a problem for us in mowing. Absolutely. Uh, something that I'm kind of curious about is, do you, uh, as you mentioned this and knowing that you're based in Colorado, kind of a little outside of Boulder, I immediately think of Chautauqua Park and I'm like, man, like that, I, I wonder if there, if anyone does any upkeeping there, I'm curious, do you have thoughts or plans to go beyond re uh, residential neighborhoods or I guess now is the, like, what is the the sh what's the plan for you and kind of what direction are you headed in with sites? Sure. So we are squarely focused on the commercial side of landscaping. So basically everything but single family homes, um, you know, single family homes are very complex. They're all very different. They're very small um, commercial landscaping. Uh, so that includes things like Chautauqua, uh, the beautiful parks we have in Boulder, uh, corporate campuses, schools, HOAs, apartments, hotels, resorts, these sorts of large areas that are maintained by professional crews week in and week out throughout most of the year. Uh, and our actually first partnership was with the city of Boulder this summer. Uh, we got out and we were mowing a park, not Chautauqua, but another beautiful park here in Boulder. Um, and that's the sort of thing we look to mow in the future. Uh, that's awesome. I, I'd like just as a as a business owner myself, I'm kind of curious to get this side of things. How do you uh, break into? Well, let's talk about Boulder and who you're selling to now. Like, are you you're selling to commercial kind of commercial companies? What's the sales process like? And is it an easy sale, or is it is it because you're building something so new, or is it still is you have to educate them on the benefits of using something autonomous? I, I'd love to hear a little bit about the sales cycle. Sure. So like I said, we're selling to these commercial landscapers. These are businesses, uh, you know, small, medium-sized businesses who do anywhere from a couple million in annual revenue up to the largest publicly traded uh, landscaping services firm. Brightview does about $2 billion annually in landscaping services revenue, which represents somewhere around 2% of the entire landscaping market, uh, which is a pretty, pretty big deal. But that gives you a sense of how fragmented this industry is. So there's, you know, 10,000 different, literally 10,000 different landscapers in the U S alone who fit this 2 million to 2 billion uh, range. And they're the ones we're going to sell to. They really understand the problem just sort of uh, right off the bat that we're solving. None of them are able to hire as many people as they'd like to. None of them are able to grow their businesses as they'd like to. Um, they actually end up turning down a lot of work that comes their way, even though you typically think of landscaping as a sort of low margin, you know, highly competitive industry. There's more work than they can handle because their real limiting factor is uh, the labor supply. Um, none of them can find enough work, enough workers to show up reliably to get all of these jobs done. And so when we come to them with, uh, you know, robot mowers uh, on offer, um, it clicks pretty well, pretty easily for them. 
Oh, that's awesome. Do you, do you see a, a kind of companies like yourself, but in different verticals? Uh, and I don't exactly like, I don't know, let's say, well, actually I, I can't even think of any, cause I'm not in this space. I'm curious, what are other companies that are not in your vertical not in your space, but are still relying on robots to solve this, to solve it, similar pain points in different industries? Like, do you know of any other industries that use autonomous robots for, to solve a problem? Yeah, there's a ton of different uh, autonomous robotics companies who are, you know, picking what might be considered niche markets and really just blowing the doors off it. Um, so another company here in in Boulder called Amp Robotics is building a robot to uh, autonomously sort recycling. Um, so they install this robot in a recycling center over the conveyor belt and it'll sort out recyclables and trash um, to keep the streams uh, pure so that they can, the recycling centers can get the most you know, bang for their buck and, and be as efficient as possible. Um, there's a ton of companies in the logistics space. Um, so you may have heard of uh, Kiva Robotics, uh, what Amazon acquire, acquired about maybe six years ago now. Um, and since the Kiva acquisition, there's been a whole lot of interest in bringing robots into the logistics space to, again, reduce the labor overhead and uh, just try and make it easier to operate a business at scale. Um, there's also a number of companies in agriculture, uh, medicine, uh, and other ones that are sort of like the, the commercial iRobot. Uh, Madebot down in Austin is building a commercial, uh, commercial vacuum, basically, that's self-driving. So you mentioned iRobot there, and the first thing I immediately thought of was Boston Dynamics. <laughs> I'm kind of interested to hear how are they, per, as an insider of the industry, how is Boston Dynamics kind of perceived? And this might sound like kind of like a blunt question, but they build really awesome robotics, but they just they just seem cool, but not super functional. Do you have any insight in where these, these companies that are building humans ultimately to do tasks, where they're headed and, uh, and, and how soon we're going to get there? I think every roboticist has the same reaction that uh, that you do. It might be even more pronounced, which is like, those are some pretty fucking cool robots. Um, you know, I think <laughs> yes. what what uh, what isn't shown in the videos is the scenarios that they can't handle that you know they're not perfectly trained on. Um, but Boston Dynamics and some of the other companies that are building these legged robots are doing really amazing jobs um, and really pushing the envelope. I think that. That said, there's still uh, a long way to go to really get these sorts of robots, uh, you know, legged robots that can cover all of the uh, same sorts of spaces that humans can. Uh, there's a long way to go before that's going to be a, a sort of reality. Um, Boston Dynamics is is owned by actually a branch of SoftBank now, so they've got uh, – they might have a, a good long horizon until they have to be making some money depending on uh, how, how well the vision fund goes. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't realize that Boston Dynamics was partly owned by SoftBank. It's very interesting kind of happenings in the last month with WeWork and then you have a lot of the other portfolio companies that are struggling a little bit like WAG and whatnot. I'm, I'm curious, do you have any insight into uh, into SoftBank and if it's going to work out or just do you have any any opinions on the matter? I don't. I'm just a, uh, a 
curious and interested observer from a, a very long distance. I, I feel like keeping a long distance is probably best based on the companies, how the companies are performing that they've invested in. So I'm in the same boat there. I'm just kind of have my popcorn out and, and learning too, learning what to do, what not to do, things like that. So I, I want to go a little bit outside of the realm of, of Scythe and, and just robotics and more just into your brain. You know, you're, you're obviously a very bright guy and you're building this company, which is solving a huge need, and it's pretty cool, may I add. Um, so I, I have a feeling that you spend time thinking about, you know, even if it's just a little bit, other things, like other problems in the world, other companies, other industries. I'd love to just get an insight into some of the things that pop into your brain uh, that you think about um, when you're not working or thinking about sites. Well, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I think m most of my brain power nowadays is taken up with Scythe. Uh, and so that really, <laughs> that maybe skews all my thoughts towards what, what we're tackling. Uh, but I think one of the things I've been thinking about recently is public transportation and the, the lack thereof in the U.S. I don't, I don't have any uh, insights into how we might solve this, but I think it's a, a glaring problem, uh, you know, here in the Boulder, Denver area, we've got pretty lackluster service and, and I'd love someone, uh, sort of a request for startups, someone to come and, and help solve that. Uh, you know, traffic's getting worse all, all the time and uh, the public transit system does not seem to be sorting it out. Do you, uh, are you familiar with Hyperloop uh, that Elon Musk is doing? And do you think that's a viable uh, option like in 30 years as that scales or, or do you have any other kind of solutions in your mind? I, I am familiar uh, somewhat, you know, I'm tangentially familiar with uh, with the Hyperloop. And I know there's actually a few Colorado routes that uh, made it to some of the later stages of those. Oh, wow. the that's funding awesome. Proposals. Yeah. It'd be pretty, uh, be pretty great to be able to hop on a Hyperloop and, you know, get to Breckenridge for the day and, and get back in 20 minutes with no I-70 traffic, but I'm yeah. not sure that's going to be coming, coming anytime soon. You know, I think the thing that I see when I look at this problem is the, the need for municipalities to really commit to solving their transportation crises and, and to populaces actually giving up some of the space that's dedicated to, you know, single passenger vehicle traffic or, or personal vehicle traffic uh, and, and giving that back to public transportation. There's this experiment they did, uh, I guess it's going ongoing in New York city where they shut down an entire uh, street through Manhattan and closed it to everything but bus traffic. And apparently the results there have been great. I think once, once we acknowledge that, you know, personal vehicles are not the end-all be-all of transportation uh, within our cities, we can have some really uh, profound effects. You know, speaking of Scythe and how we think of the world, we think once we shift towards, you know, autonomous vehicles or just better bus or train transit, that will give us back a lot of the parking that we have alongside, you know, every street and every city in this country and that parking can be turned into green space uh, and that can you know reduce the temperature in a lot of these cities that are just massive concrete heat islands it can make these cities feel much more inviting and and that's sort of the vision of the future that i'm most optimistic about
That's super interesting. Uh, I've actually never heard that variation before, but I think it, it could most definitely happen and it's very insightful. I have a few questions within that. So you think as things get more efficient, people will have less cars and, there'll, and then which will unlock real estate in you know, the form of parking spaces that can be converted. I'm curious, have scooters made their way into Boulder or Denver yet? And if uh, like the smart scooters, you know, the electric scooters, and if they have, a, do you think, um, especially Boulder actually, do you think scooters have a, have a, will make a big difference here? Um, or do you think it is going to be more public transit as, uh, instead? The scooters are all over Denver. I know that. Okay. Uh, I think Boulder has been a little uh, resistant to the scooters. They've sort of pushed them off, uh, kept them at arm's length. Uh, but you know what I'm really bullish on are those electric assist bikes. I think those make much more sense than the scooters. The scooters are great if you only have to go, you know, maybe up to eight blocks. Uh, but once you get past that, they're not as fast as a bike. Uh, they're so much more dangerous to ride. You know, you hit the tiniest pothole uh, and it can send you flying. Uh, whereas those bikes, you can cruise at, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour without breaking a sweat. Uh, and I'm really bullish about those. And yeah, I think those, you know, or just transitioning to a, a much bike friendlier culture could have a huge impact on American cities. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I also like the e-bikes. I'm curious. There's this very, very small but quickly growing company. Uh, but I'm curious if you if you've heard of them. Have you heard of Air Garage? Uh, you know, I just saw something about that online today, but I have not looked them up. What? Yeah. So, so yeah. So I actually had Jonathan who who started Air Garage with Scott, and he's the CEO on the podcast like four or five, six months ago. They're doing oh, awesome. really well. Yeah, they're doing really well. But but what they're doing is they're kind of taking what you said uh, about people, if there being parking spaces that can be converted into other things. And Air Garage is kind of like tackling that head on and trying to help people kind of like take more ownership over their parking spaces as real estate where they can make money off of it. They can rent it out or they can turn it into like a shop where someone can co-work or something like that. And it's just so interesting that you mentioned that because it, it, it clicks for me where it's like, there's going to be so much more parking spaces out there once these personal vehicles are going to go slightly by the wayside. And it's just, uh, it's just kind of cool to see the world uh, collide as I think he's working on that problem right now. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. I think that's that, you know, you hit the nail on the head there as, as cars get phased out, people will, uh, you know, at least some people will get rid of their cars uh, for good. And then they'll be left with these sort of, suburban homes that have an empty garage and well many, many people are able to fill those with all their uh, all their toys and tools and whatnot uh even when they do have a car i know mine is uh i think that'd be great to have those be put to much better use yeah absolutely i have another question i feel like i'm throwing all these like just technological questions at you like trends and you're handling them like a champ so i appreciate it you're very knowledgeable on on, on all these topics so i think Great conversation. I think one of my one of my last questions on this kind of on this section is, what are your thoughts on the Tesla strategy of uh, someone owning a Tesla, which is autonomous, and then while they're not using the Tesla, <coughs> excuse me, the Tesla goes around and picks up other people and drops them off like Uber, but autonomously, and the car kind of works for its owners. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
uh, or is that uh, or is that maybe maybe won't like kind of be as big as it, it might expect it to be? I'm curious to what you think about that. I mean, I think it's a uh, it's a bold statement by Musk to to claim that ta that Tesla is going to be you know running a robo taxi service. I think he said practically every year they're going to start next year. Uh, but I think someone will run a robo taxi service. Uh, you know, whether it's a self driving car. Uh, manufacturer themselves or, uh, you know, an Uber or a Lyft who uses other people's self-driving cars, that's definitely going to be on the horizon. When we get, you know, fully self-driving cars is up for debate. I think some of the self-driving car companies have been pushing their, uh, you know, claims of a 2020 to 2022 launch date back by five years or 10 years or more. Uh, so it's a really challenging problem, um, you know, putting a car on the road with no safety driver in all sorts of conditions uh, is just uh, an immense problem, uh, which question for you to turn it around for a sec. Have you ridden in any of the Waymo self-driving minivans down there in Phoenix? I actually haven't. I have seen them. They're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. But I, I haven't. The only self-driving car that I have ran in that I've kind of been inside of was a Tesla Model X uh, and, and it went on the freeway we I mean it was a it was a podcast called man and the Model X and I was the person being interviewed and it was incredible how good it drove and how it like almost, almost someone actually almost swerved into us and it swerved out of the way it wasn't that bad but it was very intelligent um, but no I've not uh, ridden in a Waymo but I, I would like to because um, they they look comfy inside and they just seem to be everywhere over in Mesa and Chandler <laughs> yeah maybe you should uh, you should try and record a podcast from a Waymo car get somebody down there since you're in Phoenix there aren't uh, aren't all that many tech podcasts coming out of Phoenix so I think you have a rare opportunity that's super interesting and I actually I, I'm curious to get your perspective on this because I live here I don't think that all the like the fact that this is the self driving car mecca that people say like I don't think it's that cool because I'm I'm here right like I see the Ubers I see I see uh, I see the Waymos I see the cruises and it's just kind of normal but I'm curious from someone that doesn't live in Phoenix can you describe to me how Phoenix is perceived in the self driving car front is it literally is it literally the mecca or is it just one of these bunch of different geographies that that are have a self driving car I think. You know, Phoenix is a hotspot for the test deployments of these companies. You know, most of the companies are either based in the San Francisco Bay Area or in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has maybe six of them. Uh, Boston's got some. But what makes Phoenix such a great test environment is it's almost always sunny. It barely ever rains. It certainly never snows, uh, unless I'm mistaken. And uh, besides the dust storms y'all get occasionally, uh, it makes it a pretty, and it's flat, that's the other thing, uh, makes it a pretty great test environment for these vehicles. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's become uh, become this sort of uh, focal point for the, the industry to test in, um, which is kind of neat. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I definitely have a little bit of a history of being critical of the Phoenix tech scene, uh, as a lot of people are critical of their own tech scenes if they're not like San Francisco or whatnot. But I have kind of come around a little bit to the fact that that this is a place where a lot of emerging technologies are tested because of the, the reasons you just you just mentioned. And maybe I will take your advice and head on down to Waymo and see if I can interview like that the, 
the manager. Maybe I can get Larry Page to come down and, and do the interview. That'd be chill. That'd be chill. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it could be a great opportunity for the the Phoenix Tech scene to you know latch on to those engineers who probably spend a lot of days away from home, uh, you know, testing out these vehicles and, and running them through their paces in Phoenix to latch onto those folks and, and tell them why Phoenix is so great. hundred percent. Additionally, uh, there's a company that I believe were the only, this might've changed in the last year, but for a while we were the only place that they were headquartered outside of San Francisco. It's called cruise. They're a, they're a self-driving car company that they got acquired by the GM a little while back. And they have cars everywhere too, but I think they're a little less well known. But I think th- I, I kind of have a, a feeling that Cruise might be the company, Cruise and GM might be the company is to kind of like crack it. So that's also another thing I could do is try to get in with the CEO of Cruise or something like that, which is like maybe a little a little more attainable. Or I could do it with all of them, you know, and then like it, it make a little competition. Anyways, appreciate the idea. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, a couple more questions for you, then we will wrap it up. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm kind of curious, what have been uh, some of the things that you've learned since starting Scythe? And um, what, more importantly, what are the things that you didn't necessarily expect to learn that you kind of just came across and, and, and uh, kind of learned from an experience? That's a big question. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing I've really... Uh, learned this time around. So I started a company with with Isaac and two other co-founders before and and the biggest difference uh this time around is is really my intention behind everything I do for the company. I try and really understand why I'm doing something, what I'm hoping to get out of, you know, whatever action I'm taking. Uh, and then be able to measure myself against, you know, did did I achieve what I was hoping for? Um, and that goes for everything from fundraising to hiring. I think being very intentional about what you're doing and not just getting excited and, and throwing darts at the wall uh, is the biggest thing you can do to, you know, not only work hard, but to work smart uh, and, and to make all of the effort that, you know, you put into your own startup uh, go as far as it can. My last, my last question is if you were talking to someone who wanted to start a company and they didn't necessarily know the best way to do that, but they wanted to do something big, uh, kind of push their vision into the world, what advice would you give them? I'd say definitely just go for it. Um, you know, the first thing to do is, is figure out if you're going to do that, uh, who's going to pay for it and what, uh, you know, how are you going to get that out into the world? Because there are a lot of great ideas, but executing and, and seeing those ideas through uh, is much rarer than, than having a good idea. And so uh, planning it out and planning, you know, concrete steps to achieve that, I think is a, a rare thing out there. All right. Well, Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. This might have been the most varied conversation that I've ever had, and I learned a ton, so I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, yeah, it was great to chat.